this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. Just thinking on the things that I, I wanted to say, looking at uh, some of the epistles. What God uh, was laying on my heart. Thinking about what Dwayne Stein preached on last week, talking about milestones and signposts in our life, times of remembering. And so as we move forward in the next two months, we're going to go through the book of Second Peter. Uh, this morning we're going to discuss the divine power of our Lord, power of God, how it relates to our Christian life. We're going to be dealing with uh, false teachers in chapter 2, the things that lead to destruction. In chapter 3, Peter is going to be talking to us about the second coming of Christ and his closing thoughts, about what it means to be a follower from uh, the beginning of our salvation, from being small, an infant, baby, desiring spiritual milk, and going on to what it means that we grow, that we mature, that we understand the principles of Scripture, we understand the Word of God, how it applies to our lives, how it affects our lives. So if you're in Second Peter, I'm going to start in verse 12, and then we're going to go back to verse 1. But in verse 12, Peter begins by telling his audience why he is doing this. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you. His purpose is to remind you, remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Talking about remembering, bringing to our minds things that are significant in our lives. As Dwayne Stein preached last week, he opened up the word concerning Joshua chapter 3 and a little bit of 4, talking about the Israelites after their 40 years in the wilderness and coming to the Jordan River and this time obeying the word of God and listening to his voice and understanding we must trust him and be obedient to him. And so the Lord had told Joshua, this is what is going to happen. You will come to the Jordan River, your priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of my presence with you. And they will walk into the water, and as their feet touch the water, the waters will be shored up away from them. And all of Israel will be able to cross the Jordan River on dry ground. And in chapter 4, after they had crossed, Joshua had told the men, one from each tribe, to go back and pick up a stone from the riverbed. And that they would put those stones on the other side of the Jordan where they had just crossed, and they would erect them, and it would be a reminder. Much like our monuments. We talked about that this past Wednesday at Home Group, about it like our monuments, where people can come, they can read, this is what happened, this is what occurred so that you won't forget. Even thinking about yesterday, we celebrated Veterans Day. And 
And for those of you that have served, thank you for your service. Those of you who have family members that have served, thank you for your service. But we have monuments erected so that we won't forget the sacrifice that they have made on our behalf so that we can enjoy the freedoms today. And the same is true in the scriptures. That the stones that they were erecting were a reminder to them so that when they passed that way, they would be able to say, this is when the Lord shored up the waters of the Jordan so that we could cross on dry ground. One of the other things that the Israelites would do, and even as we read what it's talking about, as we took communion, Jesus said, I desire that I would be able to eat this Passover with you. Passover was another time of remembrance for them, of when the angel of death would pass over them while they were in captivity with the Egyptians. That when they applied the door, the blood of the spotless lamb to the door frame, to the doorpost, this angel of death would pass over. But any who did not apply it, the firstborn was taken. They did that, and they continue to do that in remembrance. Peter here is going to be telling us things for us to remember, his audience to remember, and it applies to us today as well. Peter begins in verse 1, saying, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter begins by signifying, as many of the other authors of the epistles do, of who is the one who is giving them this letter. Simeon Peter, above all, a servant, a doulos, a slave, and apostle of Jesus Christ, one who has been commissioned, one who because of the love that God has given me, of Jesus has given me, that I willingly serve him. I am willingly his servant. I am a slave to righteousness, Paul would put it. And he tells us who his audience is. It says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. Now, there is no difference that I, being a servant and apostle, is not any different than anybody else because the equal standing comes by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That phrase right there, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, of bringing to remembrance the first time, the first time you heard the good news, the first time your heart was changed, saying to those of you that have obtained this, not by our own works, but it's because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am writing to you these things, to you Christians, to those that claim the name of our Lord and Savior, to those who, like me, are slaves to righteousness, a servant of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge, Peter is going to be using that phrase, 
many times throughout this second epistle, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter in his first epistle would often write to them, explaining the things that were going to occur. He would tell them, don't be surprised when fiery troubles come your way. Don't be surprised when you endure hardship. Don't be surprised that you will suffer just as Christ suffered. But as you continue in the knowledge of God, as you continue to increase, may grace and peace be multiplied to you to know that no matter what you're going through, through the storms of your life, God is there. The same thing that we learned last week as well, that the Israelites, as they were going through the Jordan, the four aspects of God, that God prepared the way, that God led the way, that God remained in the midst of their trial, and God was the last one out. And the same is true, that as we increase in our knowledge of who He is, as we gain more understanding, as we read His Word, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So he gets into the things that he talks about in verse 12, these qualities. Here's what he wants us to know this morning. Here is his word to the people that are listening then and those that are listening now. His divine power. Whose divine power? God's divine power. Jesus, who is Lord, his divine power has granted to us all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness. You know how significant that is? That anything that is going on in our lives, and there are a lot of things going on in our lives, anything that is even going on in our church, God has given us everything, has granted us all things because of His divine power that pertains to life and godliness. Godliness is following after God, of having the same attributes as, as Him, not, and walking in them, work walking in a manner worthy of God, of becoming more like Christ, that because of His divine power, He has granted to us all things that pertain to life. And it comes through the knowledge of Him. Again, the word knowledge. Through the knowledge of Him. Who? The knowledge of God. The knowledge of Jesus our Lord. Why? Because He is the one who has called us out. He has called us to His own glory, and His excellence. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. There is a lot just in that little bit of His divine power, that we can partake in the divine nature, that we can have life, that we can have godliness, that as we know God and are known by Him and are called to His glory and His excellence, that this occurs at the end of verse 4, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine glory. 
Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. This is what Peter is talking about. He's talking about the gospel. He said, of those who have faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God. How did we get this righteousness? It was by the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel that I preached to you, Paul tells us, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, he says this, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. First and foremost, the gospel is Christ died according to the scriptures. Everything that was written about him has occurred, that he had died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the righteousness that we have obtained. Scripture says that because of the gospel being preached, because of us understanding, because of the Holy Spirit providing us with the ability to understand that God first loved us, that he made the move towards us, that we accept, that we believe, that as Peter says, of being equal standing because of his righteousness, that that is the testimony that then we have as well, that we can be partakers of the divine nature. Because of God's glory, because of Jesus' glory, because of his excellence, because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. So that we're not glorying in our own name, we're not glorying in our own power, we're not glorying in anything of us. But that we all can be on equal standing because we glory in God, we glory in Jesus, his name alone. Paul will tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 10, he says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. His divine power, that Peter says, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is through the knowledge of Jesus. It's through the knowledge of what he has done in our behalf. Peter is reminding his hearers of this, the churches that he is writing to in Asia Minor that he tells us in his first epistle, in 1 Peter. He's reminding his audience of this. I remind you of this this morning as well. To get back to the, the joy of our salvation, of first knowing God, of what that meant in our lives, because often we get weighed down, often we get bogged down by life, and things come in, and we forget. Just as the Israelites forget. As we talked about, Dwayne Stein last week telling us how many times do the Israelites forget? Immediately after just being saved out of trouble, out of trial, out of tribulation, and then all of a sudden they find themselves in it again, and they're like, where are you, God? Where did you go? What are you doing to us? Why have you brought us here? 
forgetting how powerful he is. And the same is true of our lives. We too find ourselves in those situations in our lives. And Peter reminds us, remember this. He has called us to his own glory and his excellence. And he has granted us very precious and very great promises. So that as we live through those things, and Peter's going to talk about that, as we live through, the, through those things, we can be partakers of the divine nature. That we can become more like Christ. That we can be changed. That as he says, that we have been saved from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That we have been rescued out of that life. And we need not go back. But that we can remain steadfast. Because of what Christ has already done on our behalf. And because what he continues to do on our behalf. You haven't heard this before. I hear it many times from various preachers. But because of the work of Christ. Because of what he has done. That when we bow our knee. We are saved from the penalty of sin. That the. God's wrath that is against all unrighteousness, all ungodliness of those things that are set up against him was poured out on Christ as we mentioned on the cross for our sins, what we righteously deserved. But those who know Christ, we are saved from the penalty of sin so that we gain eternal life. Not only that, but we are even saved now from sin, from the power of sin. That as he says here, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, Scripture tells us we didn't have a choice prior to that. You were slaves to sin. You were slaves to sin. That is the life that you live. Even the good things that people do, they're still slaves to sin. It still doesn't compare with the law of God. It doesn't compare with his holiness, with his glory. It is just a shambles. Our best is dirty rags. But because of him, we are saved from the very power of sin. We are saved from that corruption of sinful desire and has been replaced with something different. Peter, in his first epistle, told his hearers this. He said, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised. And you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. That's what he says they have been saved out of. It's corruption of the world and of sinful desire. Paul told his hearers, the Corinthians, this. He says in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Something totally different. It says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's being saved from the power of sin. You were formerly slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to righteousness. As Peter identifies himself, a servant of Jesus Christ, an apostle, an ambassador, tasked with proclaiming the gospel message. Paul tells us, going on in that 2 Corinthians, he says, all this is from God who through Christ 
reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Meaning, reconciliation, there was a relationship that existed from the beginning of time when he created Adam and Eve. That there was a relationship was there, but when sin entered the world, that relationship was destroyed. God could have nothing to do with sin. He was holy, blameless. And so there was a gap, a chasm that was created that we couldn't get back to because we are already defiled, that we are born into this. But because of Christ, he reconciled us to himself. Not only that, he then tasks us with the ministry of reconciliation, of being leading others to this knowledge as well. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Why? Because they were nailed to the cross not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of real reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Have that repaired relationship. Have the very great promises that are beginning been given to you, partaking in the divine nature, being given life. The old is gone, the new has come. When Peter was first tasked with this message after the death of Christ, they were told to wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, Acts tells us that he would go and he would preach and that there were many that were saved. Here's part of what he would tell them. He said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, some of them were there. They were present. They saw these things, and yet still did not believe. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. I want you to know this, is, this was defined before the beginning of time. It was his plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. David, beacon in the Old Testament, man after God's own heart, knew these things, was looking forward to the time of Christ, to what he would do, to what God would do on his behalf, not because of his righteousness, but because of God's righteousness. We, looking back, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ, because of what he has done, he will not let us see corruption. Because if we are partakers in the divine nature, if we have equal standing by the righteousness of God because of this, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been saved out of that. 
because we have been saved out of that. Because we no longer have to live our lives like that. Peter is going to go on and he's going to tell his hearers some wonderful news. This, this is what we need to be doing in our lives. Because you have escaped this corruption, he begins in verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 1, saying, For this very reason, for this very reason, because of Christ's work on your behalf, because you are no longer slaves to sin, this is what he is asking. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Because you have been saved from your former life, because you have been saved unto Christ, make Every effort to supplement your faith. This is on us. And the Spirit of God working in us and convicting us and moving us. Because we have not yet come to the final conclusion of sin where we will be saved from the very presence of it. We are still in the presence of it. We live in the midst of it. We live in a world that is consumed by it. In our own lives we are still struggling with things that come in and try to bring us down and make us forget that we are children of God and the promises that we have given us. And we become sometimes depressed and broken down and battered and bruised and feel like we can't go on. And Peter is reminding his hearers, remember your salvation. Remember what is, has happened. Remember what the Lord has done for you. And because of this, make these efforts in your life. Do these things, because he tells them, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you're not stagnant, you're not remaining where you're at, but you're increasing in these things, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to be ineffective or unfruitful? My hope is that none of us would want to be ineffective or unfruitful in our lives. Because when we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, He puts a joy in our hearts. He puts a love in our hearts that didn't exist there before. That changes the way we live our lives so that it's not about living for me. It's not about getting my own. It's not about just worrying about where I am at, where my family is at, and making sure we're okay. But now there's this whole other realm that has been opened up. That the love that God has shown us that through Jesus' His Son, that was manifested through Christ, that when Scripture says He died for us, and He did that while we were yet His enemies. We didn't do it because we were friends. He didn't do it because we liked Him. He didn't do it because everybody was praising His name because the opposite was true. They were ridiculing him. They were hating him. They decided to crucify him and release a man who was a horrible person. 
but it was according to the scriptures, according to God's plan, so that we can be in this position of reconciliation to know God. And that then we can also be in the position of having the ministry of reconciliation to others so that they will know the same things we know. So he says, supplement your faith. It's not good enough to just have faith and then stop and stand still and think, I'm good, I'm great, I'm saved from God's wrath, I won't burn in hell, I won't have to suffer his judgment. Peter says when we are saved, these other things come into play as well. He says, supplement your faith with virtue. The New American Standard Version uh, replaces the word virtue and it says moral excellence. The idea here is one who is noble or virtuous or upright or uh, above reproach, knowing what is right from wrong and doing what is right, not living the former life of corruption, but being transformed. Galatians says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's the former things, the things of corruption. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Virtue is knowing the difference between right and wrong, moral excellence, being upright, being like God one who is holy, one who is blameless, and living out that. And it's more than just living right behavior for living for right behavior's sake, but it's because of Christ, because of His perfect life, because of how He acted while He was on earth, that we are living out these things in our life. Now, to your faith, add virtue. Being upright. And then to add to virtue, knowledge. Again, the word knowledge. The beginning in two, in the knowledge of God. In verse four, in verse three, the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And now down in verse five, supplementing your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God, knowledge of His Word, knowledge of what He requires of us, knowledge that pertains to life and godliness. Proverbs, the book of wise sayings, gives wise instructions, and if you haven't read it, pray that you would. It has very good things that are pertain to life and godliness.
The author in Proverbs 2 says this, and this is a longer passage. He said, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. This is, this is not just hearing somebody say these things, but it's perking up, it's being attentive, taking participation, seeking after these things, your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. As we're thinking about Peter's words, adding to your faith virtue, being upright, and adding to your virtue knowledge of what the author is talking about in Proverbs, knowledge. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. He's saying if you are walking upright, moral excellence, if you are a person of integrity, that because of your faith, because of being saved from the corruption of the world and its sinful desire, you're saved from these things. And as you live that out, as you walk in a manner worthy of God before men, as, as he said in First Peter, you're not partaking with the same people anymore. And they wonder, why aren't you joining in with us? Why aren't you enjoying the same things that we're enjoying? Why are you not like us? And they malign you. That is a good thing because you are not living like the world, but you are living like Christ. And when you do that, living a life of integrity, of uprightness, and you gain more knowledge and understanding, it, coming, it comes from the Lord. And he says when you do those things, they will be your shield. They will be your protection. They will be your comfort. They will be your guide. They will walk through you, with you through these hard times. And they will save you from wanting to go back to the ways of evil. Because he has called you to his glory and his excellence. So he goes on that as you gain knowledge, as you walk upright, he says, when you do these things, then add self-control. For me, that's probably one of the hardest things sometimes because things happen that are outside of our control and you get angry, you get upset, you're, what is going on? And sometimes you just need to take a step back and 
God, I need you doing this because I don't understand. He said, add to this self-control. Peter, um, sorry, Paul said it in a different way um, in 1 Corinthians 9. And he likened it to this. He says, do you know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air with no purpose. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching it, others, preaching it to others, I myself should be disqualified. He likens it to an athlete who is training for an event, who is working towards a goal, working for a prize, a trophy, a claim, pride, look at what I have done. That they have certain things in their life that they have disciplined their body. That is self-control, taking things under control. What do they do? They have a very strict diet what to eat, what they can't eat, how much they have to eat, how much protein. There's a lot of things that go into that. And Paul likens our race of the imperishable, of our working for Christ, of our working towards God in that manner. Hopefully that helps us understand Peter when he's saying, put on with your knowledge, add to that self-control of disciplining your body, disciplining your mind to the things of God. That as you gain this knowledge, that as you don't live like others, what's going to happen? People are going to malign you. People are going to ridicule you. You will have trials. You will have troubles. And sometimes we may just want to say, is it really worth it? And just forget it. He's saying, add to that self-control, knowing that the things that you are doing are good and right and honoring to God. Because God is good. We're going to end there this morning, and we're going to pick up again next week and continue on in this list. Uh, and even if you go home this week, I, go ahead and reread this portion and reread the scripture and reread the other things that we're going to look at and how they apply to our life. Because as Peter said, he says, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a positive, it's the affirmative. One of the things as I was going through this and thinking on this passage of Scripture, and there's a lot more that I'd like to say today. But one of the things they said, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. I, I love the hymns. And our good friends, uh, Alethea, who had played at my wife and I's wedding, were in this uh, weekend. We got to uh, hear a concert out in Jersey with them, and they just came out with a uh, a hymn CD, and I love it. And I was thinking about some of the old hymns, and what comes to mind is standing on the promises of God. And so I just want to read the verses to you this morning and think on these things as we close. Uh, 
Another says, standing on the promises of Christ, my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound to Him eternally by love's strong cord. Overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Are we standing on the promises of God as we continue to live our lives, as we think about our first being called to Him because of His righteousness and His work on our behalf? Are you continuing on? Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your goodness. We thank You for how wonderful and powerful and mighty that You are, that even as we are reading First Peter, Second Peter and going through this and thinking by your divine power you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you have given us a relationship with the Father that because of you we can know the Father through you. That you have reconciled us to yourself. And that you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. That we can be partakers of your divine nature. And I pray that your spirit would continue to give us understanding and wisdom on this issue. Of how much is contained in just those few verses. Of the majesty of our Lord. The greatness of our God. Father, continue to put in our minds milestones, signposts. And if we need to put physical ones up, put physical ones up in our own lives. Remind us of your goodness, your power, of your glory, of your excellence. There is none like you. We glory in your name. We thank you, Lord. We pray these things in your precious Son's name, Jesus.